Good morning. Um, go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to be in the first chapter of Mark this morning. So go ahead and get your bookmark. Um, and we'll go back to it in just a second. But here we are uh, two weeks after the busy holiday season. We've begun working again, coming back from our vacations. Some of us are really enjoying and some of us having been forced to spend some time with friends and family. And, uh, and it's just starting to feel back to normal. We're settling in for 2015. And I have to say, it was a little unsettling looking at our text today, coming from the first chapter of Mark, because I had this odd sense of deja vu. In fact, I was with one of our Westside leaders um, talking about the text this week, and she said, wait a, wait a second, didn't we study Mark 1 right before the break? And I was like, yeah, I, I thought it was familiar. And she quipped, no, yeah, I specifically remember you giving the kids that coloring page with John the Baptist in a camel hair speedo chewing on crickets. <laughs> and she was right. <laughs> um, not only about the ridiculous coloring page, um, clearly I don't have Colleen's gift in engaging the youth. Um, but we have been in this text before, in the second week of Advent. And I think it's purposed this way because we've gone through this season of expectant waiting and we've rejoiced and celebrated in the king being born. And now we're just starting to get back into the swing of things and we're starting to feel, okay, here we are going along. And all the stuff of life is beginning to creep in again. We're faced with issues we must deal with again. Maybe it's a difficult situation at work a hard conversation with a family member. Some of these tasks we just need to own up to, and some are just our responsibilities. Some are things that we've willingly taken on, but all of it, it's life, and it's now, and it's happening. So today we're going to return to that same text. However, today we're going to jump forward 30 years. The drama of Advent is over. There's no more camels or wise men or angels, but there's a different excitement present. We're reading about when Jesus is going to begin his ministry, to begin the great task our Father has called him into. Jesus is beginning to deal with the things of life. So let's read Mark 1, 4 through 11 together. So John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You, you are my Son, my Beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story. And we're thankful that after all the celebration and you're entering into this world, and as we settle back into life, that you have not left us. 
No, quite the contrary. You are here with us and you give us this text that we may know how you've broken through and are with us so we are never alone. Lord, may this text speak to us today and may you please speak through me and let everything that is true and good and of you just stick on our hearts and our minds. In your name we pray. Amen. Here we have Jesus preparing for a great task. It's really the beginning of his ministry. And we get this very unique story. Of course, you have John, who's looking the part as the true prophet. And he's there in Jordan with Jesus, the Son of God. And then Mark specifically points out everyone else who's there. You have the Spirit who is descending upon Jesus. And you have God the Father speaking to him. How often in the Bible do we see a story where all three, the Father, the Spirit, and the Son of God, are mentioned and present together? It's beautiful. And then we also get this very unique word that Christians use a lot. Baptize. We'll break that down a bit later. And then, as you're reading the story, there's something very cosmic that's happening. The heavens are torn apart. And it always... uh, seems odd to me. It seems just so casually stated. He looked up and the heavens were torn apart. And then it continues. And then at the very end of it, we see this very proud Papa. It's a very unique story indeed. So first, I want to begin with that word baptism. It comes from a Greek word. And if you don't know, I myself am Greek. And I'm very proud of that heritage. Um, My grandpa Nicholas would be very proud that I'm bringing that up to you today. Um, He and my uncle Nick and my cousin Nick and my second cousin, Nicky John, and his son, Nico. I'm not kidding. Um, Anyway, the Greek word um, here is baptizo, and it means literally to dip under. It's immersion in water. But there's nothing particularly special about being dunked underwater. There's no magic in water. You're quite literally cleaner, I guess, when you're dunked underwater, but nothing happens in that dunking. There's no something magical in the spritzing in some traditions. But this word, baptizo, it's not about the act itself, but the symbolism behind it. All over the world, for centuries, Christians have done this very act. Sometimes as babes, sometimes as adults, always with water. We have this act where someone says to us, Child of God, I baptize you in the name of the Father and in the Son and in the Holy Spirit. When preparing for this sermon, I realized that um, there was this quote, and it's been said that the very phrase, Child of God, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it promises much more than the person saying it can possibly foresee, or the person receiving the words can fully comprehend. It's a symbol of rebirth. It's a symbol of stepping into the place that God has made for us. That we are His and He is ours. And Jesus, the Lord of the universe, does this very act. He says, Here I am, God. I am yours and you are mine. The story continues, and Jesus comes out of the water, 
And we don't know if Jesus was the only one to see this or if John was watching in amazement as well. But this huge thing of cosmic proportions happens right above them. Jesus saw the heavens torn apart. Now, it's not open. It's not like when you reach into your purse or your wallet and you take out whatever you need, you open it and then you close it. The heavens tore apart. The Greek word here is schizo, which means to rip, to cleave, to split. It tears. So let me break this down for you a bit. When you schizo your pants, there's no way that you're going to hem them up again. They're done. The fabric is torn. They are through. They are never the same again. The heavens, they are now torn. It's the same word that Matthew, Mark, and Luke use when they talk about the temple being torn in two on Good Friday. It is never the same again. And when it happens, there is no doubt that Jesus was remembering the words of Isaiah the prophet spoken centuries earlier when he said, Oh, that you would tear, come down and tear the heavens open to make your name known to the enemies and make the nations tremble at your presence. This, this is baptism. It is shown here as a reminder to us all of that time when the heavens opened up and God came through. The Spirit of the Lord comes down. Here, our Lord, God of the universe, has come out of the heavens and into your life. You will never be the same again. And it's in that moment, after the heavens have torn and the Spirit of the Lord has descended upon Jesus, we hear God the Father saying to Jesus, as He says to each of us, You, you are my Son, my Beloved. With you, I am well pleased. You know, I've always been amazed that that's part of the deal. When we submit to God's will and we give into his love, in that moment in our life, we are adopted into his family. As free Methodists, we believe that our salvation is not based on just simply saying the prayer, right? As you've been maybe heard when getting a track, you know, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. It's not only that we've been saved from our sins. Our debt has been paid. And don't get me wrong, that's really good. In fact, if that were the only thing that we got in the salvation deal, I'd still take it. But um, God didn't stop by simply justifying our sins. He allows us and he gives us the ability to live a righteous and holy life. He sanctified us and continues to sanctify us. He's given us the ability then to choose good, to choose what is right, and to be able to really love. And if that weren't enough, our God, our Lord, he adopted us into his family. He's given us a place with him, a seat at his table. And we get to partake in his inheritance. Justification, sanctification, adoption. It's the whole package. Our God is so good. He's so good. And he does all of this because he knows it has to be a package deal. If he were to just justify us, we'd need a way to stop sinning. To not continue to partake in, as Bonhoeffer calls it, cheap grace. 
So it gives us a way to do good, to choose life, to replace our hearts of stone with hearts of flesh, to love well. And that, that is what I want us to talk about today. The story of Jesus' baptism is our story. Yes, we are called to love others. God has tasked us to be his ambassadors of the kingdom. He has tasked us with that same tearing open of heaven and unleashing the things of heaven here in this earth. We are the ones to bring love. We are the ones to shepherd others. We are, as now one says in the return of the prodigal son, to be the mom or dad standing at the edge of the driveway, looking, waiting for that son to come home. Now, if you ask me, all of this seems like too much of a gift. And frankly, it is. But even more so, it seems too great of a task. Jesus is beginning his ministry. Jesus' task before him is great. It's vast. And just the same in our day-to-day, many of us are faced with things we must do. Things we are called to do or things that we know we should do. And a side note here, I, I love how God loves us so much to write this story in this way, in the Gospel of Mark. Before everything, he gives us this story to know that he will be with us. You know, Jesus is God manifest here. He is God in the flesh. But let's not forget, Jesus is still flesh. Later, we see him plead with God and asking if the cup can pass. We know that he's, he's human. He's like us. He felt what we feel in the day-to-day, that struggle at work that you're going through, that hard phone call that you need to make with mom, or thinking of how you move forward in this relationship or need to take a step back from this one. Jesus felt that same thing. He knows that same fear, that same anxiety, that same loneliness, the same misgivings you may have. And God, our Father, He knows. He knows His Son and He knows all of us so well and all of it. That in that moment, before Jesus has done anything, before Jesus has earned it, Jesus' dad looks at his boy and says, This, this is my Son of whom I am well pleased. Through the Father's grace, That love is there and present and available for all of us. As our dad, he's come before us to say, this here, this here is my son, whom I am well pleased. This here, this is my daughter, whom I am well pleased. We're all in this thing of life, and we all have a great number of things on our plates before us just this very week. Some of them are very heavy, some are difficult. A lot of things are just trying And Jesus' baptism isn't a lesson for us showing that God keeps us out of the hard or the difficult things. We know everything that Jesus goes through. It's a hard story. But the point of Jesus' baptism is that even before he comes out of the water, he knows that he will never be alone again. He will never have to face life's challenges without the Spirit's company. And the love and the blessing of his dad. Baptism means that God has broken through. And so we in turn are called to tear into all the problems and all the challenges facing this world with everything that we have been given. 
You, friends, are called to be a part of the remarkable, redemptive work of God. God and the Spirit tore from the heavens into Jesus' life, and Jesus came and tore into all things that separate us from each other and us from a life of God. Jesus tore into the social structures that separate the rich and the poor. Jesus tore into the societal roles regarding the place of women. Jesus tore down racial prejudices and barriers, bringing people of all nations together. And he has and continues to break through hard hearts and instill compassion. This is my son. This is my daughter with whom I am well pleased. No matter what task, what decision, what problem you face in your heart today, remember that you are not alone. For God and the Spirit are with you. And for those problems in the world which are breaking your heart, maybe it's homelessness, immigration reform, family stuff, orphans, trafficking, slavery. Those are the things that break God's heart. And God is tasking you to break in and begin that ministry of love. But all of this, friends, is done with a full and complete knowledge That God, he is for you. Dad, he's in your corner. As we sing this great hymn, I want to encourage you to look around and remember your own baptism. That time when Jesus tore into your life. Just as we celebrated Christ's birth um, over Christmas, and we lit the candles and we passed the light of Christ, I want us to look around and remember how each of us has been adopted into his family. He has tore open the heavens, and we are tearing open all that is not God and bringing love in.